Welcome to Postscript. What's going on? <laughs> Welcome to Postscript, where we teach, chat, and rant about narrative and film. I'm Tori, and I prepare and guide each episode. And I'm David. Uh, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but I'm ready to have an opinion. This season is about what makes a good or bad Act 1 of a movie, and in this episode, we're talking about unusual Act 1 structures. Ooh, cool. Cool. I was just thinking if Barbarella even had an act one. <laughs> you need a plot for that, so the answer might be no. Well, she's given a quest to go on and she accepts the quest. So, yeah. The first five minutes was act one? Yeah, I think it's a, pretty quick. <laughs> and then the rest is chaos. Yeah, okay, so she undresses in zero gravity in a furry room, and then exposition from Austin Powers tells her to go to this planet. Yeah, and then she's like, she accepts the Mm -hmm. One of the shortest act ones. Yeah. Great movie, by the way. Strongly recommended masterpiece. Same same year as Space Odyssey, right? (laughs) Is it? I think so. That's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they were, yeah, contemporaneous, mm-hmm. you know, competing for innovation. So this episode was sort of inspired by a conversation that we had mm-hmm. that we recorded but didn't put in the podcast. So we were talking about how uh, my theory, which was kind of a joke but kind of serious about how Act One is like kind of just neoliberal propaganda <laughs> because it's like the the theory or the idea of it is sort of that uh, everything in that happens to a person goes back to a decision that they made mm-hmm. uh, and like goes back to like their choice. Mm-hmm. I would say ninety five percent of the time uh, it does correspond with the hero's journey and a choice that's being made, mm-hmm. uh, even if it doesn't seem like it initially like it it's subtle sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not as obvious yeah um so i want to kind of go through like situations where uh you might think it's unusual or the structure is you know um trying out something different Mm -hmm. but actually it's not the the movie i i instantly got reminded to is a serious man yeah yeah is it gonna be part of it we can talk about it right now um yeah a serious man is a great example of a movie where nobody makes a choice and stuff just happens Mm -hmm. to the main character and that's kind of the point of the whole movie yeah uh a serious man being coen brothers movie from sometime in the uh, 2000 to 2010 yeah, something like that. But yeah, that's that's a, a really good example of that. However, spoiler, he does make one decision what? in the movie. What? At the very end. What does he do? He decides to let the student who cheated pass. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. then the the tornado or whatever giant storm is coming. I always, I, My interpretation has always been like that. He, he constantly feels that he's being punished by God, mm-hmm. but stuff just happened to him. Yeah. But once he actually makes a bad choice mm-hmm. or an immoral choice, mm-hmm. according to his own value system, mm-hmm. for the first time, that's 
really when the shit happens. <laughs> and that's huh. when the that's when the giant storm arrives. That's and interesting. I assume everybody dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically he's just realized that his actions don't correlate with what happens to him, so he might as well just do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. And then something even worse <laughs> happens. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like God was like Oh no, I will punish you. I just won't reward you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great movie though. Great movie. So good. And you'll see like a lot of the ones that are alternatives are are some of our favorites mm -hmm. in part because they are so dark. Yeah. Because they're based on the idea uh, that you have no control over your life. So there's a few different kinds of subtle act one endings that I, that do apply to Hero's Journey that I identified. The first one is when the character is in a position where they're like kind of alienated or they're stubborn or they're isolated or they're um, like, uh, they're passive or something like that and they choose to be vulnerable or to care or to put themselves out there, invest in something, trust something or have hope. Mm -hmm. Right. So first example I have is Taxi Driver, mm -hmm. 1976, directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, a taxi driver in New York, uh, he drives around, he kind of sees the city as being this place of like moral decay. And he spots this beautiful woman and he kind of projects on her this idea that she's sort of like a, a pure or like a savior. And then he asks her out. So that idea is kind of like projecting hope onto her. This idea that in this corrupted, mm -hmm. disgusting place, he could find something to hold on to. Yeah. That's one example. Mm -hmm. Next example. But that's still hero's journey. That's still hero's journey. Yeah. Another example is Dancer in the Dark from 2000, directed by Lars von Trier. Um, a poor woman who works at a factory and supports her child is gradually going blind, but she hides it so she can keep her job. Her landlord opens up to her about something and she decides to trust him and tell him about her secret that she's going blind. So it's just her decision to like trust someone. And then that leads to the rest of the events of the movie. Mm -hmm. Another second subtle type of hero's journey is like somebody takes on a risk or tempts fate in some way. Mm -hmm. So one example of that would be the lighthouse from 2019 directed mm -hmm. by Robert Eggers. Uh, in the 1800s, a young man joins an older man as a laborer tending to a lighthouse um, strange and dangerous things start happening. Sirens, merfolk, bad omens, and the like. Uh, and um, he is warned uh, never to kill a seabird. I seen you sparring with a gull. Best leave him be. Bad luck to kill a seabird. More tall tales. Bad luck to kill a seabird. But then he kills one in self-defense, which then starts to bring bad luck. Mm -hmm. But he 
I mean, you could argue that the, it's not a choice because he kills it in self-defense, but also he doesn't, he kills it quite brutally and he could just like run away. So it, it does seem like a choice. Mm-hmm. And when he does it, literally the uh, winds change. Like you see the, um, <laughs> you see like the weather vane, you know, the uh-huh. north, south, east, west thing on top mm-hmm. of the whatever barn or whatever, like changes right yeah. after he does it. So mm-hmm. it's a very explicit, like, he did this, now this shit's going to happen, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And then uh, last type I have of subtle act one endings is sort of like rejecting, denying, or giving up. Kind of the opposite of the hope. That Most of these were on the list of those don't follow the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And then when I rewatched them, I was like, oh, they, yeah, they, totally do. they actually do, mm-hmm. you know? Um And then the other example of that is Do the Right Thing from 1989, directed by Spike Lee. Tensions are growing in a Brooklyn neighborhood in the heat of the summer. An Italian pizzeria um, uh, has mostly black patrons. Some of the black kids attempt to boycott the pizzeria because um, Pino, one of the the son of the pizzeria owner, is... um, racist and uh they won't put any black people on the um walls of the pizzeria they only have like italians um mookie a young black man who delivers pizza there uh attempts to de-escalate the situation by reasoning with pino pino who's your favorite basketball player magic johnson who's your favorite movie star eddie murphy who's your favorite rock star prince your Prince Wallace, Bruce, Prince, Bruce. And Pino says a bunch of just like fucked up racist stuff back to him. I mean, they're black, but they're not really black. They're, they're more than black. It's, it's, it's different. It's different. Yeah, to me, it's, it's different. And Mookie says, this is, this is one act, one ends. He says, Pino, fuck you, fuck your fucking pizza, and fuck Frank Sinatra. Ooh, nice. <laughs> great, great. Great, powerful sentence. It is. Right after that, we get a montage of uh, just the neighborhood's, like, you know, residents uh, lashing out with angry racist slurs, which culminates in DJ Sam Jackson Mm -hmm. uh, telling everyone to... Time out! Y'all take a chill! You need to cool that shit out! (laughs) You know, Mookie tries to reason with Pino, mm-hmm. but he just ends up frustrated and gives up. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the one person in the movie who might be able to de-escalate the situation just is like, fuck you and fuck Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Yeah, very, very good starting point for act two. <laughs> yeah. Now... Finally, without further ado, we're going to move on to weird act ones where there's no choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, that's interesting. Or no choice of one central character that follows them through the rest of the movie and where all the actions come from this one choice they made. Mm-hmm. And these I also divided into different categories. Sorry, yes. I was just thinking, yeah, like... I'm just, I'm still, I'm still thinking about a serious man. One thing that I remember is that 
I mean, he kind of makes a choice by going along with along with everything. Mm-hmm. You know, the wife wants to di- wants to divorce. Okay, we're gonna divorce. I want I want you to move out. Okay, I'm gonna move out. Like he's actually yeah. like kind of making choices. Yeah, he's just obsessed with this idea that he wants to do the right thing, or well, like he wants to do what's what he's supposed to do. Well, one thing I'll challenge you on with that is that the choice has to be something contrary to the way that they've been living their life up until then. Mm-hmm. So it has to be like a reversal of the norm. Yeah. Or something that would be a challenge for them. But I see what you're saying and that if we consider going along with something as act as as a choice mm-hmm. as opposed to just like allowing things to happen to you being completely out of your control. Mm-hmm then some of these might not apply and actually i mean yeah that's interesting because so you know because we have if, a few of those in if this. i really think about it i think the only thing he does in that movie mm-hmm. that is out of his normal existence is the very end of the movie mm-hmm. but that's interesting because um i could actually skip ahead to ones that are similar mm-hmm to that so there's one because i can think of one that is quite similar that you would i think appreciate mm-hmm. um this category i kind of see as like movies where what ends act one is kind of the idea that it's not like gonna be that easy and you can't just get away with things or ignore them because they're just going to keep happening to you anyway mm-hmm. and those are like propelled on by an outside force onto the character Mm -hmm. but the character you could argue that the character's choice is to go along with it Mm -hmm. i guess yeah so the example i was going to bring up is a movie that you showed me Mm -hmm. or i think you were watching it for the first time too one day Mm -hmm. 2018 hungarian movie directed by you want to say the name? <laughs> say the say name it? and I'll say it again. Directed by? It looks like Sophia Silagi. Oh, Silagi. Sophia Silagi. Okay. Very easy. How, to... how can I Americanize that? Sophia uh, Silagi. <laughs> Sophia Silagi. Yeah, Silagi <laughs> is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think this kind of relates. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to make a connection. Mm-hmm. So a couple, Anna and <laughs> it looks like Sabolks. <laughs> oh, Sabolch. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beautiful name. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it is. How do you how do you give that a nickname? Sabi. Subby, okay. So Anna and Subby. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's this couple, Anna and Subby, uh, and they have three young children and they live in Budapest. Uh, Subby uh, has like a fling or almost has a fling uh, with this other woman mm-hmm. uh, named Gabby. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other woman calls it off and tells Anna that it's over and... 
Anna just tries to resume her normal life and her normal marriage, which involves like driving the kids around, housework, uh, just like annoying daily life shit, mm-hmm. uh, which is already like hard enough. Um, yeah. It's a very powerful movie about how hard our daily life is. Yeah. And uh, so I'm with each of these, I'm kind of going to introduce the two worldviews. Same concept as before. Mm-hmm. So I think in this movie, the two worldviews are sort of like, uh, if you have, if you're dealing with normal, difficult life and you have a personal crisis, are you like being going to be like selfish and be like a rebel and turn your life upside down, uproot your life, you know, completely dismantle everything? Or are you just going to like push through and like act like everything's fine? Mm-hmm. And if you take the second, like, can you even do that? Can you just act like everything's fine? Mm-hmm. Um, like she kind of frames uh, what she's doing with Gabby as like forgiving her. But you almost get the sense that like she has to. She mm-hmm. has no real choice here. Like, yeah. what is she going to do? Like, she's got three kids mm-hmm. and they don't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So like leaving her husband is like not a realistic option for her really. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so just forgetting it and moving on is what mm-hmm. she really wants to do. Mm-hmm. But then at 30 minutes about mm-hmm. what kind of ends act one is that she gets a text from her husband saying that uh, him and Gabby are going to meet up for coffee one mm-hmm. last time. Uh-huh. And she's with her buddy from work and her, her work buddy kind of like feeds her paranoia. He says uh, that he'll probably, the husband will probably just like squirt on her, the, on the Gabby and mm-hmm. head home for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of like mocks her and then he blames her for like giving Gabby the green light. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just kind of like walks away. <laughs> mm-hmm. So she's left. I, that's why I kind of saw it as like, uh, it's not going to be that easy act one switch. Mm-hmm. Cause she's just like, she's like, it's okay. I'm just going to push through this. Everything's going to be fine. And then it's as if someone comes along and says, not so fast. It's not mm-hmm. going to be that easy. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what propels the rest of the narrative forward. Like in the serious man, it starts with the wife wants to get a divorce in this one. The husband decides to, meet up just for one more time with this lady for coffee yeah. and they both just do what they like they both act the same way as they've been acting before that so they're not really change their behavior or not really do anything out of the ordinary for their lives yeah it's and like the interesting outside comes in yeah. and says this is going to keep happening to you. Mm-hmm. You can try to ignore it. You can try to push it aside. Mm-hmm. But this is just not going away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like things will not return to normal. Mm-hmm. Things refuse to return to normal. Yeah. Also, yeah. it's really good. It's a very good reminder because I really, really like that movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm... One day. Yeah. You mean? Yeah. I'm glad to realize that it might be one of the cool things about it. Even though it's all linear, it's like, you know, it's a mm-hmm. set in present time about everyday people. It's just yeah. like a well-shot 
very well acted, socially very sensitive movie. But now that you mention it, yeah, it's very, it's, it's, it's definitely a lot trickier to apply this formula. Yeah, like she could say, absolutely not, you're not meeting up with her, mm-hmm. and actually I'm divorcing you, and this is going to be a whole thing now. But that, would, that wouldn't be her thing. I mean, like, yeah. they're, they're a lot more civilized than that. Even, yeah. even at the beginning of the movie when she's, like, drunk, and they kind of have a fight, but it's more like, like a slightly heated, quiet argument <laughs> yeah. while the kids are sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> You know, she doesn't like the idea of them seeing each other one more time. But the guy is very convincing. Mm-hmm. He convinced me as a viewer as well. I didn't feel worried about it. I felt that scene is more about, oh, just another layer of frustration. Yeah. But it didn't seem like a real threat that's even also, for the viewer. That's also what's so messed up about the, the work friend in quotes um, because he he like just feeds her paranoia so much she's sitting there being like okay this is a reasonable thing to do i trust him it's gonna be fine they are just meeting up for coffee this is all fine and then this guy is like you're making a fool of yourself and Mm -hmm. you invited this into your life and this is all your fault you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like the worst yeah he's the worst person yeah which is yeah yeah yeah, I, yeah, it's it's hard to think a less helpful attitude in yeah. that situation. The Arya thing of like different people in the movie sort of representing the, these worldviews. And mm-hmm. this guy kind of comes in to tell her that she did have choices in this matter and that she's totally fucked up mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and deserves what's happening to her, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he's basically saying, I think that she should make a huge deal out of this she should be pissed at him she should uproot their life Mm -hmm. you know he's like representing that idea Mm -hmm. but yeah that's interesting so that's one yeah that's uh that's that's a very interesting alternative structure well i have another movie that's in this structure that Mm -hmm. is totally different Mm -hmm. but i think you might appreciate just how different it is and still kind of fits into this Uh uh-huh but you know, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, it's The Thing from 1982, directed Ooh. by John Carpenter. Uh-huh. Summary. A harmless-seeming dog shows up at an American research base in Antarctica in the middle of nowhere, uh, where this ragtag group of scientists, I guess, live. <laughs> um, and uh, the dog was being pursued by Swedish researchers who are desperately trying to kill it, but they died in the process, and nobody knows why. Hey, Sweden! Not Swedish, Mac, and all Mac, played by Kurt Russell, is a helicopter pilot, mm-hmm. and he uh, he's requested to bring a scientist to the Swedish base to investigate. Everyone's dead, and uh, they discover the deformed remains of people who committed suicide and died. Um, so there's kind of two worldviews. Um, operating here uh mac is sort of he's kind of like your like han solo humphrey bogart type like he's reluctant to get involved he doesn't like taking any risks he's very cautious he's kind of like cool detached but he's very capable and uh he like doesn't want any trouble he doesn't kind of want to stick his neck out for anyone 
and he's kind of all about self-preservation. And then on the other side, you have the doctor who goes with him to the Swedish base, who's like curious and like wants to help and wants to know what happened. What are you doing, Doc? Could be important work. I want to take it back with us. Well, it's getting late. Let's hurry it up. So the act one ending is that um, like the dog like transforms into this disgusting monster and just starts kind of attacking everyone. And uh, Mac takes command and kind of steps up. But this is kind of what I'm saying is like it he is like a reluctant hero who's deciding to step up even when he's like kind of the type of person who would normally like be more con- isolationist and concerned with self-preservation. But I think he also is just like, I don't have any other choice here. Mm-hmm. Like this thing isn't going to go away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he knows that he's one of the most capable people there. Mm-hmm. So he's just like, fuck it. You mm-hmm. know, like I'm deciding what we're doing here mm-hmm. to preserve myself. He's still working out of, self-preservation you don't really get the sense that he's like doing it to save his you know Mm -hmm. colleagues or whatever Mm -hmm. he continues to be an isolationist he's not acting differently than he was before Mm -hmm. he just realized that this thing isn't going to go away unless he does something about it yeah yeah Uh so yeah i would say that's more on the border Mm -hmm. than the other two examples Mm -hmm. but also because like something extremely unusual <laughs> too, so, you might say that you know. it's a little it's kind of the opposite of one day this yeah. is like yeah. a day in no one's life <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah like i rewatched it expecting that there would be kind of a an arc to his character in the sense that like he's isolation kind of like a like a diehard moment, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because I think that would be more of an example. Although maybe it's similar to this one where it's like, does he really have a choice? Because he's similarly a reluctant hero. I mean, his character changes, though, Mm -hmm. slowly, because towards the end, he's trying to save the people on the rooftop. Okay, so there And he's, like, putting himself at risk. He's not just saving his own ass. Yeah. But he's going all the way up to the rooftop to make sure that all the hostages are not there. So there you go. So, that's that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Mm-hmm. So his first act, I guess, of vulnerability is to try to save his family. Yeah. So it, though, his whole it character changes. has this yeah. charm that he's not trying to be a hero, mm-hmm. but he ends up being one. But I don't think that ever happens in the thing. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, yeah. spoiler, but <laughs> he... <laughs> <laughs> he ends up pretty alone. <laughs> so Yeah. But I don't remember him ever having a moment of being like, I'm going to save my team. I'm going to mm-hmm. save my colleagues. I think he always is like just out for himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's his, his normal self in a, in the most extreme situation you can yeah. imagine. Yeah. But not, but yeah, you're right. There's no switch in his personality or yeah. like he's not. Mm-hmm. It's not like the Han Solo switch, like just to make it the most obvious thing in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he's, 
I, I stick my neck out for no one. I don't do anything for anyone else. It's just about me. Then comes back to save his friends. Yeah. At personal risk yeah. to himself. Yeah. He's, you know, yeah, he's like, more like, he's the Han Solo who will not show up at the last battle. Yeah. Like if he could leave. <laughs> <laughs> if he could leave just like Han Solo before the last battle, he would never fucking come back. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't. Yeah. I'm pretty sure if he was like, this thing will never get me if I just leave right now, I think he would just leave. Yeah. so those are the two that i had under the theme of like it's not going to be that easy you can't just get away with this like you can't just ignore it basically until it goes away Mm -hmm. they have to deal with it somehow Mm -hmm. and that's not really a choice because they are forced into it Mm -hmm. the next one is that act one ends when like a theme is surfaced but even if it's a choice it's not like the choice of the movie mm-hmm. it's not like the choice from which everything changes it's just like a choice that is like thematically important to the rest of the movie mm-hmm. so one example i have of that is triangle of sadness mm-hmm. from 2022 directed by ruben Ustland. Ustland. <laughs> Two models and influencers, Carl and Yaya, are on a date. They have a petty fight about money, and Yaya admits that uh, their relationship is just good for business, but there's no love there. And Carl swears that he'll make her love him. Um, So that ends Act Mm 1, which it's actually like three distinct parts. Mm -hmm. Part 1, Part 2, Part 3. Yeah. Um, So it very clearly ends Part Mm -hmm. 1. but the so you could you know think of it as like okay carl's the main character the choice is that he's decided to reject what yaya is saying about like that love is just about this business relationship you know he's he's going to try to convince her that she really can feel love and mm-hmm. we'll see what happens from that but that doesn't become the plot of the movie yeah mm-hmm. and it's more that that choice is inter- is uh, introducing this idea of like the kind of corruptive power of money and like the denial around- surrounding that. Mm-hmm. But that choice he makes isn't really a choice that changes anything for the rest of the movie. It's just sort of introducing this theme. I, I remember we both talked about this idea after we watched a movie if it even needed that first half. Like why didn't yeah. it just start? in you know like in the ride at the ship mm-hmm. and, yeah and there was something about their relationship like something that kind of like made sense i think that's the idea is that it's introducing the theme early mm-hmm. but i kind of still believe that it didn't need the first part at all which does i mean but that's a pretty good argument for why that is not the choice that changes the rest of the movie because we never even go back to that mm-hmm. scene yeah. at all, you yeah. know? So it's really yeah. not about that scene. Or yeah, that because, choice. yeah, because I think, but yeah, I would, I would have to rewatch it, but the idea is that, you know, like there are multiple ways you could read that film and there are multiple layers of the movie that only need needs act two and three. Mm-hmm. But if you look at as some kind of analysis of different classes, if you read it from that kind of period that, you know, like it's 
it's something, you know, like you kind of like need those three parts by describing that, you know, like you could read it like, this is our society. This is what our society looks like. This is what we're doing. And this is our future. Or like, these are mm -hmm. the people. The, this is the setup. This is the outcome. Like, mm -hmm. structurally speaking, if you really like look into, if you look into as more like a symbolic thing, mm -hmm. the movie, not ne necessarily just the narrative and the story, then the three sections make sense. And it makes sense that the first half was just focusing on what kind of society we're in. Yeah. And then you start analyzing like, yeah, and what kind of decisions or like what kind of trends we have in this society. But that it's symbolic is the point, right? Yeah. Like that's mm -hmm. a symbolic scene as mm -hmm. opposed to being a scene where choices and decisions made by the characters are affecting mm -hmm. those characters because yeah. they those characters just symbolize stuff. Yeah, they just symbolize stuff. And yeah, and it's not even like, not even starting with their argument. It starts with those like scenes with male models mm -hmm. posing to the camera yeah. and like interviewing. So it's kind of, and, and I think it's the reason why I think it's important because the whole thing about triangle of sadness is that it's portraying the shittiness of our world as a systemic thing, mm -hmm. not something that depends on personal choices. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's interesting to start it with focusing on characters, like very stereotypical, stereotypically 21st century characters. Yeah. Like if you think about those two worldviews, it's sort of like, and the decision that's made at the end of act one, it's sort of like Yaya understands the relationship that she's in with the world. Like she has a better understanding of the reality mm -hmm. of, um, you know, power and corruption and money mm -hmm. and what she has to do to survive yeah. in this world. And Carl has kind of a naive view mm -hmm. of, you know, he thinks that like love can still exist basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, you know, and those are the kind of two opposing views. Mm -hmm. And then as the movie plays out, we kind of see how those two views continue to butt heads. Yeah. But they also like resolve nothing. Yeah. Like, but symbolic know, spoiler. But yeah, symbolic spoiler. Because <laughs> you would think that one of those attitudes would turn out to be the right attitude. Yeah. And it's not even they turn out to be either of those turn out to be the wrong attitude either. Yeah. They're just irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I really appreciate about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the the category that we're still in at least in my theory is that the end of act one the choice at the end of act one surfaces a theme but doesn't actually change anything mm -hmm. right um so the florida project from 2017 directed by sean baker mm -hmm. so um it takes place in a dump of a motel in florida uh which are the projects um, where a lot of poor families live. Um, the characters are Haley, a young single mother who recently lost a job as a stripper, and her six-year-old daughter, Mooney. Uh, there's also Bobby, played by Wilm Dafoe, uh, who is the manager of the uh, motel. 
um, the two worldviews that are presented are uh, represented by Haley and Bobby, basically. So Haley is like this uh, force of kind of chaos and nihilism. She has this mindset of she, like nothing matters, nothing she does like makes a difference. So you might as well just have fun because everything is shit. Oh my God, this is unacceptable. I failed as a mother, Moni. You disgraced me. Yeah, mom, you're disgraced. Mm -hmm. um, and then Bobby, the motel manager, uh, he's kind of like the moral center of the movie. I'm going to talk to Ashley, by the way. When your friend puts you in charge of her kid, that kid becomes your responsibility. You ain't taking responsibility. Like mm -hmm. he does feel that responsibility is important and that it's still worth it to like care and try. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that Haley's a bad person. It's just that she like doesn't really believe in consequences and just kind of sees everything as being pointless and chaotic. Oh, whatevs, you gotta relax, my man. You gonna redo my expense reports with your whatevs? Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's, yeah, just the most important thing to have fun. And she kind of teaches that to her daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what we care about, in, or the thing that's kind of hovering over the whole movie, since it's kind of told from Mooney's perspective as a child, is like, so what's going to happen to Mooney? You know, like, where will this lead her life? Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what we care about in a way, you know, mm -hmm. like that's what we're sort of paying attention to is like, where does this leave her, you know, mm -hmm. in the end? Um, so it's kind of a project janitor and, uh, and, uh, and an ex stripper are mm -hmm. fighting for her soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so it's very hard to figure out where act one ends. So there's a scene around the 30 minute mark. Mm -hmm. where Bobby catches a very weird, creepy man. I was going to say. Were you going to say that? I was going to say, I think, I, I just, for some reason, I thought that might happen later in the movie. It happens movie. right around 30 minutes. Right around 30 minutes. Interesting. I thought it happens later, but actually I was going to, I was about to say that that might be. Why does it feel like that is? I'm curious what you think. Because he makes, because, you know, you just introduced this idea that, mm -hmm. what's the name of the mother? Uh, Haley. Haley. You know, like Haley that has this attitude that none of her actions make a difference. Like, not, you mm -hmm. know. And then Willem Dafoe's character, Bobby, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's an action he does there. Well, He's, let me say what happens. Okay. And then I'll come back to you. Yes. Yeah. Bobby catches a weird, creepy man uh, kind of creeping on the children uh, who are playing near the motel unsupervised, and he kicks him out of the motel and tells him never to come back. So, mm -hmm. yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the, the reason why I thought that potentially could be an act one, because, you know, he, he just proves that, you know, some of your actions matter. Yeah, okay, so... Because he kind of proves that, no, it's not just everything random. Your actions matter, and sometimes you have to do something. Yeah, because, like, that... But that's, like, why it's thematic and not 
about that particular choice because mm-hmm. the movie never comes back to that idea. Mm-hmm. It's never like, oh, if he hadn't had kicked this guy out, then something bad would have happened. Yeah, yeah. Like, we don't know what would have happened. And, and mm-hmm. it's just like another, and it's not like a change for Bobby. Mm-hmm. It, he's not the main character. Yeah, he's just doing his usual he's thing. He's just doing that's, his usual that's thing. That's what his character was would yeah. do whenever a creep right. appears and creeping on the children. He's just like a decent dude and he sees something creepy going on and he deals with it. And But I think the idea why it's like thematically important for the movie, the whole movie is kind of moving towards entropy. And Mooney's fate like in as much as it can be controlled by anything probably depends mostly on just like the kindness of strangers like random goodness Mm -hmm. by people yeah like looking out for her sort of completely random in some ways you Mm know um but yeah like what you're saying like choices can matter and and it is like I think that's what's so charming about Bobby's character and why he's he is kind of the hero of this movie is that he he clearly sees how shitty everything is and he doesn't really ever get that mad at Haley and he never really like does anything like he he clearly understands like what everyone's going through and how hard it is mm-hmm. but he also does have this some kind of sense of like some things kind of matter at least mm-hmm. and maybe we can do something yeah you know mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. kind of the idea of hope for mooney it's just kind of for us this idea of like oh maybe she'll be okay mm-hmm. because of some random nice people around mm-hmm. yeah yeah so the next category is movies where they're the main character is like a victim um so they kind of can't make any choice and they have no control over what's happening and that's kind of the whole point there isn't one choice that they can make that will change things because they're just a victim of their circumstances um so the first example i have of this is the hunt from 2012 uh which is directed by thomas vinterberg um a male teacher befriends a young girl uh who like a very young girl who uh kind of develops like a little crush on him um and he she like tries to give him a little kiss or whatever and he kind of rejects her advances and so she tells like a little lie about him to their to another teacher and it just kind of escalates into this misunderstanding where the teacher like thinks that he molested her um and uh it just kind of escalates into that teacher telling other teachers, then telling parents, then the whole community starts to react and, uh, you know, things are slowly start to fall apart for him. Um, So the kind of opposing worldviews here are like, if you're a good person and you do good things, like things are generally going to work out for you and be fine. Versus like, it's really up to society what happens to you and it's not entirely your responsibility. It just kind of like escalates to the point of like no return for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like, I don't know what specific, what specific point would end act one, but you know, it's just kind of a gradual escalation. I mean, I assume, yeah, it's been a while, but I assume act, act one would end somewhere where he notices that the entire town 
mm-hmm. is rejecting him. Yeah, so I kind of quickly just, skipped through it, and I saw around 30 it's minutes. It's like when he, like, loses a job at the school, and all the parents know. Yeah. 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 And you could argue that, like, in one day, you know, he could have a meltdown and accuse people and, you know, sue them or I don't know what. But, you know, like, uh, in realistically, that's not really an option for him anyway. Yeah. yeah. You it's, know? Just, it's just not his personality. Yeah. It's just not... It, it would represent, like, a complete upheaval of everything mm-hmm. in his life. Yeah. It, similar to the character in One Day. Like, she's not going to do that. Mm-hmm. She's going to go along with what's happening and try to, like, pick up the pieces and move on, mm-hmm. you know, and repair as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, and then another one I would put in this category, although kind of for a different reason, is... A movie called Cleo from five to seven. I don't think you've seen that one. No. It's from nineteen sixty-two and it's directed by Agnes Varda. It's like a French New Wave movie. Uh, a young, attractive female singer, Cleo, uh, believes that she has cancer and she gets a tarot reading that says that she's going to die. Um, so the movie does take place from five to seven, and it's basically her like coping while waiting for the results of a biopsy. To see if she actually does have cancer. Um, Cleo like has a huge ego and she's very vain and she's already pretty much like convinced that she's gonna die. Everyone like someone actually calls her like a spoiled self-pitying child which mm-hmm. seems pretty accurate actually. Uh, at first she kind of uses like retail therapy um, to make herself feel better and uh, she spends a lot of time admiring herself in the mirror which also makes her feel better. Um, (laughs) (laughs) wow. Yeah. But, uh, at the end of act one, she puts on a new hat that she just bought, even though it would, it would bring her bad luck to wear a new hat, according to her like maid. Um, and she ditches band practice and she just kind of like embraces this like, fuck it attitude. Mm hmm. Her, her maid kind of reinforces and, and herself, like, she kind of keeps reinforcing this idea that, like, she could bring bad luck onto herself through certain actions and that those choices will influence what happens to her. But at the end of Act 1, it's kind of like she just says, like, my biopsy is going to result in however it's going to result in. Like, I, I either have cancer or I don't. And mm-hmm. that's like, you know, death is like an unstoppable force that is going to either occur or not. And therefore, like, my choices actually don't matter. And so she just kind of says, fuck it and leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and like goes out on her own adventure, trying to like preoccupy herself until she gets her biopsy results. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's interesting because that's a situation where the character might be a victim or might not be a victim, but in either situation, they're just embracing the idea that they don't have any control over what's going to happen to them. And they're just kind of like, mm-hmm. even the idea of like luck bringing bad luck or good luck onto yourself. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at like the lighthouse and the like killing of the seabird, mm-hmm. you know, instantly bringing about bad luck. Mm-hmm. And compared to this, she just decides to wear the hat because she's like, fuck it, it's not going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the last category, so this is a little bit different. So, so I'm cheating a little bit. 
this in this one, there's a choice, but the choice happens in the first scene of the movie. And then that dictates the rest of the movie. And the first example I have is Daisies from 1966, mm-hmm. which is a Czech New Wave film directed by a name I can't pronounce, Vera Chitlova. Hitilova. Hit- it's a soft T. Hitilova? Yeah. Hitilova. 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 <laughs> I got it now. Or something like that. Might. Check might be not perfect either, but yeah, it's better than mine. So yeah, it's a Czech New Wave movie. Uh, I almost feel like I shouldn't include this because it's quite experimental seeming, but it does have a narrative arc. Also, perfect example for, you know, like uh, it's right at the border of experimental, but mm-hmm. but it still has a narrative. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah, experimental films are exactly the type of films that don't have this arc so yeah. you know it's good that you're mentioning one that it's right at the border yeah and it already doesn't have it mm-hmm. and yeah i mean it is about something i think mm-hmm. well let me take a crack at it we'll see okay <laughs> in theory it's about something mm-hmm. um so yeah it's this very like dada-esque like bizarre montage of these two childlike young women who con men for food and they like steal things They generally just cause chaos. Um, They treat everything casually like a joke, even something like suicide. Um, It's very surreal, um, pretty non-narrative overall. But um, like I said, it does have kind of like, it's kind of framed in a way. Um, And they're sort of like worldviews would be like, being agents of chaos and like embracing nihilism and entropy or as they call it, being spoiled. Um, uh, Focusing only on self-preservation, indulgence, survival, versus being good, being well-behaved, and being members of society, being like moral, polite, etc. But in the very first scene, uh, they're like sitting next to each other and they say, nobody understands anything, everything's being spoiled then we'll be spoiled too. And then after that, it's just a steady escalation of them being more chaotic and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and then... I mean, but yeah. the whole thing is clearly a political statement, but I think the reason why people are really into it because it's just a very cute and adorable representation of nihilism. Yeah, well, they're like both just, like manic pixie dream girls, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's fun to watch them. I'm still 100% sure what that means. but, <laughs> but uh, I think it's just fun to watch a couple of like childlike, cute girls cause like utter chaos in society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's what's fun about the movie. So yeah, I think and it I works. Think that's, and I think, you know, it's, I think it became a classic, not because of the, the political statement, even though it does feel like, how did they get away with that in mm-hmm. communist Czechoslovakia? But, yeah. but the main thing really is just, yeah, like destructive nihilism has never been so adorable and cutesy. Right, exactly. And that's what makes that movie special, not 
any of the deep philosophical message. That's what makes it endure in other types of societies and including our society. Mm -hmm. It's an appealing yeah. concept, I think. Yeah, yeah. Also, right after I moved to America from Eastern Europe, I visited this random film club event. I was so excited about like, oh, I wonder what experimental film they're going to watch. And it was fucking daisies. And I was like, no. <laughs> I just moved away from that shit. <laughs> I've seen it so many times. I was so ready for some very hard to find American experimental film from the 60s. And they and they nope. showed the movie that, I, that I've seen too many like times during my Eastern university. Europe. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, I also realized that, you know, like, yeah, that's that's definitely an identity that I can... Mm -hmm. that's you know. when you realized how exotic you were yeah pretty much yeah mm -hmm. yeah so final movie i want to talk about which i'm always excited to talk about this one mm -hmm. is fargo from 1996 Ooh. directed by the coen brothers yeah i was wondering why you watched it yeah and I why you rewatched it <laughs> this was and one of the i haven't movies. seen it in a long time i really i was kind of ready to rewatch it because i think yeah i've, I've seen it Probably like sometime in the nineties. Yeah. Oh wow. Really? Okay. Yeah, Maybe two thousands. It. But it's been it's been way over a decade. A car salesman in Minnesota hires two goons to fake kidnap his wife. You want your own wife kidnapped? Yeah. And his plan is to get his father-in-law uh, to pay the ransom. The thing is, my wife. She's wealthy. Her dad, he's real well off. Now, I'm in a bit of trouble. What kind of trouble are you in, Jerry? And then he'd split the money and with the kidnappers, the fake kidnappers, and use it to fund the purchase of a parking lot, which he believes will make him money. And I guess this means he could probably quit being a car salesman. <laughs> <clears throat> this is the plot of the movie. The this is the plot is of Act amazing. One. It's incredible. So the two worldviews that kind of emerge are like, at least in my theory, reading of it, um, that happiness can be found in simple things, being satisfied with what you have, making the best of things, contentment, kindness, versus greed, ambition, and the kind of evil that that can release on the world. But because it's Coen Brothers, it's like also a satire on both of those worldviews. So they never just present two worldviews. They always have like an additional satirical layer on top of everything. Mm -hmm. So even though like you could say it's about greed, amb greed and ambition releasing evil on the world, it's like such an insanely over the type, like hyperbolic evil and violence mm -hmm. uh, that like is just like unleashed on this small town you kind of get the sense that it's almost like a mythical evil that which is a which is like a recurring theme in their movies like deals with the devil mm -hmm. or something that comes up a lot in their movies mm -hmm. um you know this and, and you kind of always get this like hyperbolic mythical sense of evil mm -hmm. i mean even like in the big lebowski yeah. you know like things just become so much more extreme and emphasized than you would expect yeah that they kind of like 
get out of control. Like there's like a Pandora's box kind of an element to what's yeah. happening. Yeah. You know? Also, I just realized, I think whenever I watch a Cohen movie, I usually, um, I usually always really well, well aware that, that these are written characters. These are manufactured mm-hmm. characters, not yeah. real people, which sounds like it could be an issue in some types of movies but in those movies even though i'm constantly being reminded that this is not real this is so over the top but it still feels really well written they kind of have like a a satirical self-aware um especially like genre self-aware in Mm -hmm. many cases like layer on top of Mm-hmm. the story that you're seeing they seem like archetypes or like they're cartoonish they're ca- yeah they're cartoonish everything is like a little bit um exaggerated mm-hmm. yeah but only slightly mm-hmm. where it's like a little bit uh it's not too removed like if you think of like barton fink or something like that mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. it's it, it's dreamlike mm-hmm. but yeah. it's not fully removed from reality mm-hmm. at the same time yeah and then on the other side, the kind of like kindness side, the goodness side mm-hmm. is like also a little overemphasized with like their very like provincial Fargo accents. Yeah. Like that part is like makes it almost a joke too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that in a sense, it feels like there's nothing really genuine in the movie. I've probably only seen it dubbed. Oh, holy shit. I don't think I've ever seen Fargo in English. Oh, wow. That changes it. So I'm really not aware. Did they do accents at all? No, no, they didn't. Oh, man. Okay, now I really do want to rewatch it. Because a Fargo accent makes no sense. No, but they do that with, you've told me with Hungarian movies, they'll like do an accent in Hungarian. That would be like an equivalent. Sometimes when, if if there's an equivalent, but Mm -hmm. probably in that scenario, it just wouldn't make sense. Well, then we really should watch it in English because it's (laughs) it's a big part of the movie that they have these ridiculous accents. Mm -hmm. and yeah, I'd like to add to the kind of, you know, just taking things to like the next level. Like they're sort of like battling this kind of like deep evil is this like very uh, unusual superhero character who's basically just like a nice pregnant lady who happens mm-hmm. to be the police chief. Yeah. Um, so it almost feels like this epic battle of good and evil, but mm-hmm. in this really provincial small town yeah. in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. over a parking lot so anyway the end of act one uh is like when one of those goons who is just a sociopath just out of nowhere brutally murders several people but it kind of like kicks off this ridiculous comedy of errors mm-hmm. um and then that fades to black and then we fade in on francis mcdormand's character marge the police chief Mm-hmm. waking up and that's when we meet her for the first time mm-hmm. so she's not even in the movie until then mm-hmm. so that's kind of interesting like all of act one happens without that character mm-hmm. um who is the main character yeah um but you know you could kind of so yeah the 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 choice that happens is not hers though i guess you could argue mm-hmm um, the choice that happens, which I'm saying is 
a choice that happens in the first scene is that um, it's kind of like this deal with the devil. Well, that's that's I'm not going to get into into. See, I just need the money. Now, her dad, he's real well off. So why don't you just ask him for the money? Or your fucking wife, you know. Or your fucking wife, Jerry. Um, but that's kind of like part of the comedy is that he he tries to do something greedy. <laughs> and then he loses control of like the narrative before the movie even starts. It's not even in it's not even his movie anymore after that. He's just like the ultimate kind of bottom feeder. Like he's a truly like wretched character. See, these are personal matters. Personal matters? Yeah, personal matters that needn't uh Okay, Jerry, you're tasking us to perform this mission, but you won't, uh, you won't. Oh, fuck it. Let's take a look at that Sierra. Like his dream, his life's purpose is to own a fucking parking lot. <laughs> and that's like what, that's what like makes all of this happen in the first place. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Marge, the main character who's the police chief um she doesn't really make a choice to get involved in this it's just her job mm-hmm. um and that's kind of like part of the beauty of her character is like her simple integrity mm-hmm. that this is just her job and what she does and she's just a good person and she just kind of like appreciates the good things about life and then as that as her character kind of like unfolds we see her as being like somebody who just sees like it's just content with the simple things mm-hmm. in contrast to the car salesman's character yeah so it's a it's a really odd structure mm-hmm. but it works really well and i don't yeah that's one that i i i still not sure i could really get to the bottom of like what's happening other than i mean we could place it also in that like thematic um group you know where mm-hmm. it's like more about the theme being highlighted highlighted mm-hmm. than being about any individual's choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. I don't know if I really have like a takeaway and I'm sure with some of these I'm missing something. If anybody has any uh, you know, feedback on any of this, something I missed, feel free to write in, let us know. Or text me if you know me personally, <laughs> as many of you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, overall, my point here is that you don't have to uh, necessarily follow the hero's journey structure for it to work and be interesting. Um, it doesn't have to go back to one person's individual choice uh, for the events to still be captivating. Um, and for the main character, like for us to still be invested in what happens to the main character. And in fact, the opposite can even be true that we can just feel that there is no choice that the character could make that would change their circumstances and have the movie be essentially about that challenge and that reality. Hmm. Well, cool. Well, I definitely learned a lot about act one. Great. And I'm really looking forward to our next theme. Oh, are we done here? (laughs) I don't know. But if you are done, this could be a nice closing sentence. Thanks for listening to Postscript. The music for this episode was created by my brother, Graham. 
you want to reach any of us, you can email postscriptcast at gmail.com. I'm David, the boyfriend. <laughs>